0: Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, the voice behind federal news in the region.
1: I've probably conducted 7,000 interviews in my time here at Federal News Radio, and probably you know half of those have been with federal executives, federal practitioners, and there are just legions of really competent, hardworking people that do care about what they're doing. They do care about operating within the law and within the statutes and within the regulations that govern what they're doing. Our next guest
0: is somebody that I suspect you've shared many a car ride with. Is Tom Temin, the host of Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Tom, thanks for joining us.
1: Jonathan, good to be with you.
0: Well, a listener of your show, and I'm sure many of our listeners today are. Tom, you've been covering this beat now, government contracting and government innovation, for 10 years now.
1: Well, I've been covering it 10 years on the air. I've been covering it 25 years, actually, in the publication side before I transitioned to radio.
0: So you've been at it now for 25 years, which I never would have guessed by your youthful appearance. I just want to add on our for our radio audience. Well, I
1: started right after my bar mitzvah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad something good came out of it. But over the last 25 years, what's been the part of this community that has changed the most as you've covered it?
1: I would say two major things have changed in the past 25 years. One is the procurement environment. When I started out, the Brooks Act pretty much controlled how government procurement was done. Then it was the Klinger-Cohen Act. That lasted 10, 15 years. And now we're in the Fatara period, the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act period. Each one of those changed the way the government was organized to do procurement, and those brought a lot of changes. But throughout all that time, the technology has been changing. And where you once had really a data-centric and terminal-centric government, data center and terminal type of setup, now you've got all this mobility and cloud. Those are profound changes, I think, in the way it has enabled agencies to operate and carry out their mission. So really nothing is the same, and yet in many ways everything is the same. There's still the same problems of negotiating with vendors, the length of time it takes to do acquisitions, the fact that the government at least perceives itself to be often a step behind the industry, those things don't change.
0: When people think about the D.C. region, one of the th- things that I find, because I stride between the government sector and the private sector in a lot of different parts of my life, is people who are outside the government sector really look at is it as a different part of the economy. Do you First of all, do you think that's true? And and if it is, what is it about the government market that that makes it more amenable for this sort of siloing, as it were?
1: Well, it's definitely part of the economy. I mean, the, the federal government, in its discretionary quote unquote budget, spends a trillion dollars a year, but it's a trillion that it has taken out of the economy in the first place by taxing people. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's definitely part of the economy. But I think as a market for goods and services, it's very different because of its unique approach to acquisition, because it is federal money, government money that they're using. So, all the rules are different than there are in the private sector and so it's a much more difficult market to get into uh, once you're in it. The people that are in it know that it's a good, stable, profitable market to be in, but for many of the companies that you deal with, the non-traditional companies, the companies that would like to get into the federal government, even if they're traditional, uh, it can seem like a pretty steep mountain to climb, uh, and it is, but once you're there, it's quite a market. A
0: couple of years ago, I looked at it, and I recall that there's roughly $30 billion a year spent in this region on IT and software from the federal government.
1: It's a big number. Well, yeah. In fact, it's, it's even bigger than that. There's The addressable portion, as some of the consultants call it, is what is the dollars that flow out of the government to contractors. But in terms of economic impact, it's much larger because there are tens of thousands of people in the Washington region involved in the activity of procurement. They are all on the federal payroll so that their work is part of the economy in an indirect sense also.
0: So you talk with a lot of people in the government and, and consistently talk about these issues. How do you react to the uh, the argument that people outside the region make that if folks that work in the government don't work hard, don't care about innovation?
1: Well, of course, we know better, you know, and there's, look, you have a workforce of two million people. There's going to be some bad apples and there's going to be some things that go wrong. But I've t- probably conducted 7,000 interviews in my time here at Federal News Radio. I've, I did the math not too long ago. And probably, you know, half of those have been with federal executives, federal practitioners. And there are just legions of really competent, hardworking people that do care about what they're doing. They do care about operating within the law and within the statutes and within the regulations that govern what they're doing and have a real good sense of public purpose. So, yeah, I mean, the, the bad stories make the news, but I still think I really believe them to be the minority.
0: Well, what I've heard, and you may even had him on your show, Mike Daniels, one of the uh, the founders or leaders of SAIC, Mike describes that the people who come to D.C. because they're mission-oriented, people go to Silicon Valley because they want to get rich. Uh, do you think that that's a good way to think about how people approach entrepreneurship and work in the government here?
1: Well, I think probably it's weighted that way, the way he described it. I think people in Silicon Valley are motivated to change the world in some way. And I think there are people that come to Washington because, you know, in the contracting sense, it's, it is a good place to get rich uh, if you play it right. But I have found even many of the contractors even and their companies and they want to make a profit and they're in business for their shareholders and their employees and their executives and their partners. But even there, I've sensed, in many cases, a sense of public purpose. They understand what it is that they're ultimately selling and what the purpose of it is. So. Uh, yeah, I think that, and generally that's the way it is.
0: That's certainly what I see in the private sector as well. I, I'm often struck by how many people come to DC because they want to make a difference and then they just find a way to do it. Uh, it social venturing as well as private venturing and, and government. It's a very interesting market. As you look at this market, uh, in the last administration, the Obama administration made a big deal out of reaching out to non traditional sources of innovation. I get the sense that the Trump administration is continuing a lot of that, much to the surprise of many. What are you seeing on the ground right now when it comes to innovation?
1: We're seeing the same thing. I would cite the example of the DIUX in the Defense Department, and it has counterparts in Homeland Security and a few other agencies that are trying to reach these non-traditional. And that's not to say simply new to government, but new to government and different, because they have things, robotics, whatever the whatever the topic might be, whatever the technology might be. And yeah, I think it's. I don't think it was interrupted in this particular transition. A lot of things were interrupted and changed, but that's not one of them.
0: Yeah, that's my sense as well. As you look forward to the next year or two, what are you thinking about as emerging trends or things that we should be thinking about here in the D.C. region that are going to make a difference in how we're able to succeed as entrepreneurs or business people?
1: Well, I think if the Section 809 panel, I've had a couple of interviews with that group, if they succeed in clearing all of what they call the underbrush out of the DFAR, the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation, that could really make it easier to do business with the Pentagon. I think the Pentagon has been working really hard, and there might be some breakthroughs. I think when this, the Office of uh, Undersecretary for Acquisition Technology and Logistics finally breaks up into two, as it's required to do this coming February, and more of the procurement of the platforms goes back to the armed services, I think you might see a real growth in innovation as the services know exactly what they need, and maybe they can get a quicker way to innovate that way using industry. So I think that's going to be a big change. So, yeah, there's a lot of of sound, arcane-sounding things from the outside, but to those of us on the inside, we're really looking for those to cause a lot of change.
0: So, last one before i let you go we mentioned earlier that you've been on the air here at wfvd for 10 years what's the most fun thing about your job
1: the most fun thing is meeting people i meet them mostly on the telephone some people come in but uh, it's just preparing for and having the intellectual i don't know uh, back and forth with someone i don't know uh, and finding out what they're up to i just love the interviews the essential building block of each show is the interview and I never get tired of those.
0: And we never get tired of listening to you. You're, you're a companion as we take the time to drive on the Beltway, Tom Temin. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the DC area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two DC region bands, two car living room, and the sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on the show. Tweet us at, at what's working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.